previously on four at the back. If the commenters on Stephen Goff's blog had a fight to the death with the commenters on Ivis Galarsip's blog, who would win? American soccer fans, thank you, thank you everyone, you've been great. I love you. Drive safely. Tip your waitress. And welcome to the game of the year, the one we've all been waiting for. There's a capacity crowd here. The conditions are absolutely perfect with an atmosphere that's really electric. Now, the band's just leaving the pitch, and we're waiting for it. Yes, I, I think I can see them. Yes, it's the team. Here they come. Just listen to that roar. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. Yeah, welcome to Four at the Back, everybody. I'm Ken Chomash. He is Dan Loney. There's a big holiday weekend coming up. Dan, what are you doing for Memorial Day? I forget. That doesn't surprise me. Has your wife used the phrase, that stupid show, yet? <laughs> that's, I, I tend to tune out that stupid. That's sort of an adjective that applies to so much of my life that with repetition, it's kind of lost its sting. For those of you who've been with us the past couple of months, thank you very much. And for those of you who haven't, this is Four at the Back. Dan and I kick around four topics from the world of American soccer each week or thereabouts. We're glad that uh, you've enjoyed it to this point. We hope you'll continue to. On tonight's show, we'll talk about the uh, big to-do about Stephen Cohen of World Soccer Daily. We'll also talk about parity or mediocrity in MLS, depending on how you look at it. We'll talk about fan behavior. It starts in Portland but goes everywhere else. And we'll talk about a big NASL reunion coming up. It's all on this episode of Four at the Back. Topic one. Okay, World Soccer Daily and Fox Football phone-in co-host Stephen Cohen's been under fire recently for comments he made repeatedly about the Hillsborough tragedy. And if you're not familiar with that, there'll be links in my website at Ken.com and on Dan's blog at BigSoccer.com. Bear with us if you're not that familiar with it. In a nutshell, as I understand it, though, Mr. Cohen has repeatedly insisted over the years that Liverpool fans should share responsibility for the tragedy because, in his words, Thousands of them showed up at the FA Cup semifinal between Liverpool and Sheffield Wednesday in April of 1989 without tickets and forced their way into the ground, causing a crush of people against the barriers that English stadiums used to have uh, between the stands and the field. Ninety-six people were killed. He's also admitted at times to chanting murderers at Liverpool fans, and one of the largest Liverpool supporters groups in the U.S., the Liverpool FC New York Supporters Club, was quite upset about this. And they organized a boycott of World Soccer Daily sponsors, and it appears to have met with some success. Now, Cohen did apologize this week, but it was an apology that the Liverpool fans refused to accept. And just today, Liverpool FC itself denounced Cohen and his rhetoric on their website. Now, that's the case as briefly as I can lay it out for you. There will be links online for you to explore things that have gone on in the last couple of weeks more deeply. Now, here's what I didn't want to do. I don't want to get too deeply into recounting the events of the tragedy. There are people who are way more qualified than us to do that. There have been books on it. There have been documentaries on it. So read up on it if you want to know more about it. And bringing on people on both sides of the debate really wasn't an option for us either. It's not our format. It likely would have deteriorated into a shouting match, and we didn't want that either. And I also didn't want to get into a debate about whether or not Stephen Cohen's a jerk. You can make up your own mind about that. I don't know him. You have some history, damn you have your own opinion. I'm personally not a fan of the show, but I'm not a fan of a lot of shows, and you probably wouldn't be a fan of ours. I just didn't want to make this a rip job on Stephen Cohen because there have been enough people over the last couple of weeks doing that. But I do think it's interesting, and maybe what I think we can talk about is whether a radio host can have an opinion, even despite massive evidence to the contrary of that opinion, about a controversial topic, and if in this case a line was crossed somewhere, either threatening his life or his family, as he claims happened, 
or in trying to get him removed altogether from his radio and TV shows? And I'd like to explore that. Do you think, Dan, that this has risen to the level of a witch hunt? Because it kind of feels like that to me. Well, if he didn't want a witch hunt, he should stop turning people into frogs. It's There's so much of this that just from the very premises, uh, I disagree with right off the top. First of all, it would be different, actually, if all he was doing was expressing even an offensive opinion. And he's certainly done that as well. It's gone way past the point of no return as far as some sort of rapprochement between Cohen and Liverpool supporters. But he said things like he's not interested in the Taylor report. He said things like uh, abusive things about the Hillsborough survivors and the, the families in the fund uh, dedicated to getting some sort of justice for them. So... It was certainly a case of him going in with his eyes open. He's done this since 2006. I don't think it's a coincidence they chose to do it at the 20th anniversary. I think he was after some free publicity, and it's it looked like it was going to succeed, uh, from my interpretation. Now that Liverpool, the club itself, is weighed in, I think that's a very different topic. I think Cohen's now in a lot of trouble. Well, you, Dan, as you know, as a blogger and as a guy who's on this show with me and on other shows, that your role and his role are kind of about eliciting an emotional response. Uh, but what I'm wondering is what is to be gained by continually bringing this up? This is a real hot-button issue, and maybe we as Americans can't understand it as much because we don't really have a sporting tragedy, uh, and I don't want to bring a 9-11 comparison into this because there really isn't one, uh, but a tragedy of that level that changed English soccer forever, and for, for English people, this is really a third-rail item. I'm just wondering, what is to be gained by continually doing this and hammering at this? Well, you should ask Cohen that. Um because he's the one who continually brings it up. Uh, he And the way he did it, you said opinion. Can you have a right to an opinion? And never mind that Cohen has wrapped himself in the First Amendment and the flag and the United Federation of Planets Charter and God knows what else to express this. He's not expressing an opinion in this case. He was expressing a fact. That, to me, was more distasteful. The fact that he did not retract, he's claimed to have retracted it, he didn't. The transcripts are out there, the podcasts are out there of what he's actually saying. He's trying to do as little as possible. But what he comes out and says is that 8,000 fans, without tickets, showed up, and because they were drunk and irresponsible and the same type of murdering scum that we saw in Belgium. All of those premises right there have not, have not just a matter of opinion, they've been debunked, thoroughly debunked. Now, so, that's something that I just can't see. I can see defending if he wants to go and say it, but if somebody wants to turn around and boycott that, uh, more power to them. Because this is just active misinformation, just for the sake of causing controversy. This is what he wanted. This is what he woke up in the morning asking for. And now he's gotten it, and he's trying to weasel out of it. If it were an opinion, if all he said were, I think, well, this wouldn't be all he said. But if he had said, I think Liverpool makes too big a deal about Hillsborough, 
I think 20 years later, they're still waving the bloody shirt to make a cheap emotional attachment to their club from fans who have nothing to do with it and who have never even been to Liverpool, which, by the way, all that he has said. That is an opinion, and then we're in a different territory. And it's frustrating to see someone make these factual claims as fact, then once it gets a little hot, claims that it's opinion, and then hiding behind the First Amendment. It's it's something that, yeah, it's hilarious, but for some reason, at least to me, it's nails on a chalkboard. Well, then, now, football is a passionate game, obviously, and uh, as I said, this is a third rail, uh, a third rail topic here, and you would never condone, you know, someone threatening violence, uh, against someone for their opinion or for what they say on the air or their family, uh, you know, and a lot of that is, as, as he said, and as we all know, internet tough guys. But then he apologizes. No, you, he didn't. you can take it as you as you like. Okay, I'll, he, t- he, I'll take it as not an apology. <laughs> we'll put it this. We'll put it this way. Apology. We'll put it this way. He issued what he said was an apology. I'm sorry. I'm in trouble. <laughs> it's not an apology. Okay, which Liverpool fans obviously are with you. At least the LFC NY people refuse to accept. Now, and, and just, LFC just, full stop. And LFC full stop. Does then continuing the crusade to get him off the air? cross the line, or is it justified? You can boycott for any reason under the same First Amendment that we keep talking about. They can do it for any reason they like. It's just whether or not they get enough people to agree and join in. That's the marketplace. That's the law of the jungle. Uh, And that's something that he would have been (laughs) indefensible in complaining about. So the question isn't whether they have the right to do it. It's whether... People, enough people agree, and whether if you don't agree with this boycott, then I, I just don't know what to tell you because how else do you express an opinion about something this emotional? It's it's well within their rights, absolutely. And we should say, as full disclosure, you have a, a little history with Mr. Cohen, which you've gone into on your blog. If you're interested in, in reading that, uh, go to dansigsoccer.com blog and check that out. It's it's not a topic that obviously that we can fit in within this show. There's a lot of emotion on both sides. And you tell me now that this story is not over. You expect something to happen soon. I I do. I've I'm, I've been looking at the LFC New York uh, forums. And what I thought was, something like a boycott needs constant momentum. You need to keep having victory and victory. You need to announce that sponsors have given up. That had sort of slowed down. And after this apology, quote-unquote, I thought that that would give sponsors and Fox and Sirius enough cover that they could just let this blow over. And... Maybe not. But in fact, by the time you're all listening to this out there, you probably know more about it than I do, or we do, by the time you listen to this. So no, this story is not over, and the idea that it's a non-story was sort of laughable before, but now, once the actual club gets involved, that's that's a completely new boat full of lollipops. Oh, oh and and about the death threats... 
he Cohen and uh, his sidekick on World Soccer Daily, Grima Wormtongue, they both pile on this vlogger named Christopher Harris of EPL Talk, of whose existence I wasn't previously aware, and they completely blame him for every death threat. So if you're going to say that the dialogue has crossed the line, you can't turn around and blame the messenger for reporting verbatim what you said. It's This is a bad topic for discussing who has the right to say what opinion because the freedom of speech, quote-unquote, side is being represented so badly, so reprehensibly, that it's just hilarious. I'm laughing on the inside. I really am. But not. All righty then. Topic two. All right, a little lighter now. We're a few weeks from Father's Day, but we're going to talk about ties for a bit. Five. Five of the last seven MLS games have ended in draws. 41% of this year's matches have been drawn, and this would be an all-time high if it held up. The last few years, it's been between 26 and 29%. The record is 31%. Is it parity? Is it mediocrity? Is it a small sample size, Dan? What? It is. Now, it's it's all of those things. A parity and mediocrity are synonyms in a lot of people's vocabulary. I think this year, unfortunately, there's a lot to it because a lot of the best players in the league, Angel, Donovan, uh, Shiloto, uh, whoever DC United is trotting out there, uh, De Rosario, uh, Bobby Convey, who I thought was going to come back triumphantly to the league. No one has really separated themselves as a big star. I think defenses have solved a lot of these guys, and, which isn't the same as mediocrity, but it's a lot of leveling has been going on. I don't think there is a dominant team. We can stick up or not for Chivas USA. I don't think they're a dominant team. There are plenty of bad teams, which makes the overall effect look worse. But it's just easier to destroy than create. So it's easier for a Dallas to get a cheap tie against Seattle or for the Galaxy to just play completely negative and get their results, no matter where or against who. And it's also easy for bad teams to get the good results, like the Galaxy did against the Crew. If I didn't know better, I would say that all of these ties are down to the Columbus crew not knowing what they're doing in the past 10 minutes, last pass, excuse me, not knowing what they're doing in the last 10 minutes of games. They have blown so many surefire wins that it's probably not very funny if you're a crew fan, but it's a little funnier to everyone else until you have five Five tie games out of seven and 41%. They're not going to hold up, but right now it's very difficult to, to live through. Well, the notion that we've been told for many years, which brought us the shootout, uh, it, it, that there had to be a winner, that Americans wouldn't settle for too many draws, I think this should be pretty much put to rest by now. It does not seem as though ties are what's keeping people from going to games. I think it, I think now that attendance is going down, that will be used as a club with which to beat parity, mediocrity. I think the bad economy is going to uh, give a lot of people's agendas a good airing out. So people are going to point to diminished attendances everywhere outside Seattle and Toronto and say it's because of the ties. It's because of single entity. It's because Jay Needham went to Puerto Rico. It's because... I blame Bruce Arena. I think that's what you're supposed to do. 
just because and I there's think it's a case for that. Seven ties out of nine so far. <laughs> if it wasn't the crew, then it'd be Bruce Arena's fault. And it's very specifically his fault in a couple of games because it ties are what he wanted. This is what bad teams go for when they're up against superior teams. I mean, it's it's sad, but what can you do? Well, we've reached the interval. When we come back, are fans in Portland out of control or are uptight people just trying to spoil the party? Plus, we'll talk about an upcoming NASL reunion and another lightning round. It's all coming up. Don't go away. This is for at the back. Bye, Mom. Julia's awesome. Yeah, I know it. She's cool, too. This morning, she was just chirping at our house and thought it was my pet bird, Juju. You have a real live bird named Juju? That's cool. So what was chirping? Our smoke detector. The battery needed to be replaced. She says having a working smoke detector is important because it saves lives. Wow, beauty and brains. Yo, I think I love your mom. Change your smoke detector batteries at least once a year. Fire stops with you. A message from FEMA and the U.S. Fire Administration. You are listening to Four at the Back with Dan and Ken. And thank you for doing so. This is Four at the Back. I am Ken Tomash, and he is Dan Loney. You can find us on iTunes at www.ken.com or on Dan's blog at bigsoccer.com. Topic three. Dan blogged about this just today. A man took his family to the Timbers game in Portland recently, and he wrote an email to the club complaining of boorish behavior, specifically profanity, by uh, the Timbers Army, the loud and proud supporters group. There were some back and forth. The Timbers Army folks seemed a little bit better out of shape about it. You can read the exchange on Dan's blog at BigSoccer.com. Now, here's an instance, Dan, where, where to some extent you and I don't agree, which makes for slightly more compelling radio than we've had to this point, so that's fine. But you seem to dismiss this man's complaints of profanity straight away, and I might add with some colorful language of your own. So tell me your take on why you go straight to the other extreme immediately. Living through it. Uh, it's just a case on a micro level when some stranger comes into my supporter section or to my team and tells me what I can say. Why doesn't he just take a flying, I'm holding, by the way, my nine-month-old baby daughter, and I will teach her every single one of those words. She is going to have the best vocabulary. And it's it's a knee-jerk reaction on my part. Intellectually, I know that that's not cool to a large degree, certainly not tolerable. You can't officially say that George Carlin's seven dirty words should be on the team crest. I, I get where some of that's coming from. I'm just not cool with people coming into a game where the supporters have been there for upwards of a decade and <laughs> writing an angry email about it to the powers that be. This is something that you would not see and forget in European soccer or American baseball or for any walk of life. You don't go into the symphony orchestra and tell them you're not clapping properly. Uh, it's it's a pet peeve of mine, and I can just I just want to tell Andrew and Lori and Wilsonville that the the Portland Trailblazers are ready when you are and have fun controlling their language. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a prude and I can appreciate a colorful sentence enhancer as much as the next guy. I think, though, at some point, 
you're just being juvenile. It's like burning a flag. You're not, it's Dennis Miller said this. You're not making some grand political statement when you burn a flag. You're just being a massive pain in the ass. And it doesn't offend me as a fan. It doesn't offend me as a parent. I have teenagers. They hear worse in the car with me in traffic in Phoenix than they're going to hear at a soccer game. I guess I'm just offended as a grown up. It's, it's a supporter section of a soccer game. It's not the sixth grade. You're not getting away with something behind the stadium. And, and Dan, you and I are not that far apart in age. So I don't know how this breaks down between us this way because <laughs> i'm remarkably immature <laughs> well there you go <laughs> no it, you're absolutely right just swearing for the sake of swearing is just fucking <laughs> bullshit so that part is childish yes yes it is but the other part of the it was an easy thing but they're also complaining about well they're drunk and they're fat and they're white and <laughs> isn't that is that what blanco said though Reset, sorry. Well, here's the simple truth, as I see it anyway. Neither side's completely right or completely wrong. There's a compromise to be struck here, whether it's family sections, which, let's be honest, in stadiums the size of which MLS is building lately, you're still going to hear this stuff, but at least won't be all around you if you desire, or whether it's the people who are, are obsessed with themselves because they provide atmosphere. It's just dialing it back a notch. you got to understand that, I mean, soccer in this country at least, we need everybody. It's not us against them. It's not I'm a true fan and you're not because you don't say you. You suck, Paul. There's a lot of different agendas for going to a match, and, and I don't think yours is any more real or legitimate than mine, and it's it's really not going to help the cause. That said, I know it's an emotional game. I don't want to legislate all the emotion out of the experience because soccer, as you know, is a lot about passion, and it builds. In the NFL, you know, you have some moments of emotion, and then there's a commercial, and it deflates again. And then there's some more emotion, and maybe there's a touchdown, and everybody loses their mind, or a bad call or something, and then... Another commercial, and it deflates. In soccer, we build for 45 minutes, then maybe halftime takes some of the edge off it, builds for more, 45 minutes to the end, to a crescendo, but it's a game. It's meant to be experienced for everything that it does to you as a fan, and it's best when it's experienced with other people live, but I don't think that means you get to be a juvenile hat about it. Am I wrong on this? You're not, but I think the cure for that is more creativity, not more censorship. And I realize I said the censorship word after just decrying Stephen Cohen talking about something offensive, but eh, boycott me. I can live with that. <laughs> Topic four. Finally this week, and this will be a recurring theme this summer. Someone asked me not long ago if we would do more of this, and yes, we will. This is the 25th anniversary of the final season of the old North American Soccer League. For the old-timers out there, this is a cool thing. For you young'uns, it's soccer history. You should embrace it. We'll talk about it throughout the summer uh, with people who are connected to the NASL. Beginning with my friend Ron Gilmore, who's organizing the 35th San Jose Earthquakes reunion this summer. It's not the 35th time they've done a reunion. It's the 35th year anniversary reunion. And Ron's experience with the Quakes goes back all that far. Um, my brother and I, for uh, at seven years of age back in 1974, uh, had a unique opportunity to become real involved uh, in, the, in the clubhouse. Uh, as locker room kids uh, during game day, as well as uh, during practice and training sessions during the week, uh, basically assisting the trainer with equipment, checking down balls, supplement laundry, that kind of stuff. And a lot of folks in San Jose, I mean, the earthquakes were, were pretty much success right from the get-go. Uh, what was it like to be a kid and you're just growing up and you're around, you know, all these great players and this great time to be a soccer soccer fan? Yeah, it really was a unique time. San Jose was really a neighborhood, a bedroom community back in the early 70s. 
Uh, it wasn't until the mid-'80s that it kind of exploded with the growth of the Silicon Valley. Um, but, yeah, prior to uh, prior to that explosion of growth, yes, it was uh, a very – my brother and I were very envied by a lot of our friends, uh, not only to participate with earthquakes, uh, home games, road games, but also – uh, players would come out and actually watch us play our youth soccer games. Uh, so we'd have we have the actual earthquake players coming out to watch us play, which was really cool. So when the team went away, I mean, I know that they they hung around for a little bit in the, in the WSL after the NASL folded, but eventually the earthquakes went away. What was that like for you? Not so much. Didn't bother me so much in the '85, '86 years when those kind of went away. But the day the NASL folded, not ashamed to admit. I was shedding some tears, buddy. It was a bad day. And then soccer returned to San Jose, first as the Clash that eventually retook the, the Earthquakes name. Did you embrace the Clash straight away, or did you yeah. wait until they became the Earthquakes again? Um, you know, it was great to have professional soccer level, professional soccer back in the United States. Great to have it back in San Jose. Uh, but the then general manager, Lynn Metaparal, recognized that uh, the, uh, the name Earthquakes was, syn- was synonymous with the sport of soccer, and made a great decision uh, to to rename the team Earthquakes. And so um, it was really at that point forward that, uh, uh, again, I embraced them uh, thoroughly and uh, uh, that kind of thing. So, yeah, when they were the clash, it was difficult uh, for me. Um, but, again, it was just great to have professional soccer back in the city of San Jose. We're talking with Ron Gilmore, who's uh, one of the organizers behind the NASL Earthquakes 35th reunion the first weekend in August. This is the third one of these you've done, Ron. Where did the idea come from? How did how did you get the first one off the ground? And then we'll talk a little bit about this most the, the one coming up. Yeah, the the first one we did was uh, in August of 2001, uh, just a few weeks before 9/11, and um, uh, I actually, with my twin brother, uh, came up with the idea of uh, putting together. Uh, an event, um, we have stayed in touch. My brother and I have stayed in touch with a lot of the former players over the years. And uh, truthfully, Ken, the only two people who could have pulled it off are my brother and myself, just because we were around for all 10 years of the NASL. So we felt a tremendous burden kind of thing uh, to, to, uh, to felt like it was time and necessary to put it together. Uh, first thing we did was get together a list of all the former players, uh, and then uh, I took A through M. My twin brother Rob took N through Z. And we started going on Google and just started entering players' names and uh, in uh, search engines, uh, put the word soccer with their names and uh, started making phone calls, sending emails. And next thing you know, we have uh, just over 100 former players uh, that played for the Earthquakes in ASL days. And uh, that list, uh, we were able to uh, find and track down over 80 former players from all over the world. Uh, and then from there, we just extended an invitation. Uh, the Earthquakes, uh, uh, MLS Earthquakes, for our first reunion in 01, uh, did not lay out any cash or any money, uh, just as they didn't in our second reunion, which was in 2004. So all these players were paying their the former players were happy to pay their own way just to get back, uh, relive some great stories and memories with their former teammates. Great now, time. What's the case now? Is the uh, Are the current Quakes, are they helping you out with this one? What kind of support are you getting from the club? Yeah, getting a lot of support. Got um, well, they're not able to actually uh, uh, outlay uh, um, physical dollars. They've really helped me out in establishing really good roommates at, uh, at the nicest hotel in town. Uh, established a really good rate for all the players to pay for our big gala dinner that we're going to have on Saturday night, August first, uh, um, and uh, really uh, buying some golf shirts for the guys so that they look good on the the. Uh, 
uh, NASL Celebration Day, which is August 2nd when the earthquakes played Seattle. So they're helping me out in many ways, um, more, more so though on a soft dollar than on a hard dollar cost, which I'm very, very happy about. I'm very appreciative. So how many players are you expecting for this one, players and fans uh, together? How big is this thing going to be? Uh, we're expecting over 60 former players, over 40 former staff and owners. Uh, the earthquakes, uh, had, uh, Milan Mandrick, Tony Kovac, and Carl Berg as the three owners during the NASL days. Um, Tony Kovac passed away, but we are expecting Milan, and we are expecting Carl Berg to attend, uh, and then several minority owners as well. And then we're opening up uh, a lot of the events during the weekend are going to be private for the former staff and players, but we are opening up a big gala dinner on Saturday night, which I referred to just a moment ago. That will be open to the general public, and we're expecting 250 to 300 people. And, and what do the players say when they come back? What, what's the response that you get from them? You know, what? what's interesting is we did our first reunion in 01, and a lot of the guys who played, say, in 1974 never really got to know the guys who played in 1981 uh, and so on. So there was a generation gap in between the years that a lot of the guys played for the earthquakes. And what I noticed the best, what the, the, the most incredible thing that happened and came from both of the last two reunions are established friendships that weren't there before, um, not only just as friends, but also on a business level. Companies coming together, working together, um, you know, coaches talking about players. Uh, we have, for instance, Bill Irwin, played for the Earthquakes. He's now the head coach at the University of Portland. And we had a, a player that played in 79 before he got to the Earthquakes who had a guy that he coached down in Dallas. They worked out together to get the kid to go to Portland. Who knows if that would have happened or not? Had the reunion not happened and these guys put the connection together. So it's stories like that that make all the effort that we put forward. And it's not going to be at Spartan, obviously, which would have really completed it, but the, the, the Quakes are playing the Sounders, so it is appropriate. Did you pick that weekend specifically for that, or did you have it just planned and it just worked out? Yeah, no, we weren't going to do – we definitely wanted to do the reunion this year on the same weekend when the Earthquakes hosted the Seattle Sounders. That was for various reasons. One, we had a nice uh, – that's rivalry with the Sounders back in the NASL days. Uh, but also on that Sunday, there's going to be a trophy uh, awarded uh, to the winning team. It's called the Heritage Cup, which is part of the North American Soccer League uh, teams um, who come back into MLS and wear the name, wear the name, keep the name of their former NASL team are all eligible to can participate in the NASL Heritage Cup, which is an annual award. And uh, on August 2nd, whoever wins that game will be awarded that trophy. And going forward, at some point, you'll be able to have uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps and Portland Timbers going after that one, too. Exactly right. And uh, who knows, uh, here's word or talk in New York that that might be coming back someday. I love it. Uh, the NASL, without the NASL, this country would be still way behind in the sport of soccer. Believe me, we still are, but we'd be that much further behind without the guys who came over, played in the United States, and stayed and have made a living coaching youth soccer. Their impact has been phenomenal on American soccer. That's Ron Gilmore. He and his twin brother Rob put together the Earthquakes reunion in San Jose. That's July 31st through August 2nd. If you want more information about it, I'll have it on my website at www.ken.com in the show notes for this podcast. And, Dan, it seems to me like through much of its short history, MLS has gone to great lengths to distance itself from a lot of the NASL. And while I kind of understand that on one level, I think it's petty and counterproductive. What say you? I think MLS did not realize that the passion for the NASL that the Gilmores have shown 
was still around. I think they people said NASL and they think the Cosmos, I think Chinalia, and they think uh well, there's the earthquakes connection, but overpaying for George Best. And they think folded. At the end of the day, that's why I think MLS is and they afraid think failure. Of. And that's and I think now they're not worried about failure anymore. Or if they are, it's not because people are assuming it's the NASL specter. It's not like the Candyman where you say the word Sounders five times and your league folds. It's They're a little bit more mature about it now, and I think that helps to embrace the history. Now I want to see uh, the New England Revolution show up in some Fall River marksman gear. I'm with you on that. All right, now for some housekeeping. We cracked the 100 subscriber mark on iTunes this week, so thank you very, very much, all of you who are subscribing. Some of you uh, have also taken the time to rate the podcast on iTunes. One of you actually wrote a review, which is very nice. I encourage you to please go on to iTunes and, and rate this podcast if you like it. Leave a review if you like. And we are, and I know it sounds a little ridiculous, but we are the 24th most popular soccer podcast on iTunes. So look out, United Mania. We are coming after you guys next. <laughs> One month after hitting 50 subscribers, we doubled that. We hope that the growth continues, and it's all thanks to you. Dan and I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, there apparently are things we can do for the rest of you who aren't getting us through iTunes. We'll have more on that in a minute, but first we have some uh, emails to read this week. First up, Ned from San Jose. We're back to San Jose. He says, my wife Meryl and I simultaneously laughed out loud when Dan made his Amway crack in Podcast 7. See, this is a show that brings families together, Dan, and you've got fans in San Jose, which is odd for you. It's not as if now if I had fans who were Chivas USA supporters, that would be different. Peter in Norfolk, Virginia writes, enjoyed your podcast. Your mostly level-headed analysis and Dan's sense of humor are a good combination. Thank you very much. Uh, Peter goes on in reference to our discussions on the USL First Division and teams coming and going and travel expenses. He says, funny that you mentioned travel to Puerto Rico representing a hardship for USL Division One side. Several years ago, the Virginia Beach Mariners were sold for the last time to Mike Sidebottom. A few months later, the schedule's released. The first game of the season was away against the Puerto Rico Islanders, who were in their second season. Mariners season ticket deposits were almost non-existent due to the already uncertain nature of the franchise, and the road trip to Puerto Rico was the final nail in the coffin. The Mariners never played another match. I did not know that. Interesting fact. And that was a local run. I mean, imagine how Seattle felt. Yeah, they survived. But again, that's the sort of business decision that makes minor league soccer very chancy. Michael from Texas, in reference to the Jesse Marsh interview on Ford the Back Extra, said, thanks for providing the long interview. Will you guys run the long interview from the USL honcho? That would be Tim Holt, and yes, a future edition of Ford the Back Extra will have that entire interview. I don't know when, but it'll be soon. Edgar from New York writes, great, great show. I've been listening for years now, love the show, don't like Dan. That seems to be a recurring theme here, Dan. (laughs) I I think he's just making an homage, a tribute, uh, so to previous emailers, I think he's carrying on an artistic tradition. That's what I, that's what I choose to think anyway. Edgar says, uh, one very important question. When are you going to put the show up on some channel that I can put onto my podcast downloader? And I'm not talking iTunes. Not all of us have iPods. Uh, if Edgar or anybody can explain to me how we do what Edgar is asking, we will absolutely do it. I personally have no idea what he's talking about. Same with this from Omar in Monterrey, Mexico. We are international. Good work on the podcast, Omar says. I have a small request, though. Please take a couple of minutes to fix your file properly before putting it for download. ID3 tags, artwork and stuff, it will make the life of anal people like me a little easier. Again, some of that stuff I haven't got a Scooby on. I've been trying some of that. We're still working on it. If you're one of those people out there who knows about this stuff, please email us. What's the email address? The email address, of course, is podcast.com. 
at Ken.com. Send us your thoughts, your likes, your dislikes, your suggestions. Send us an MP3 file of your comments. We'll put you on the show. Again, that's podcast at Ken.com. Okay, once again, to close out the show, it's time for the lightning round. 30 seconds on the clock, please. First answer that comes to your mind, Dan. Ready? Yes. Here we go. Chivas USA, they will play where in the year 2014? Guadalajara. This show, better in a half-hour format or a one-hour format? I, I think the smaller the better is, unfortunately, the feedback I've been getting. Victor McFarland, did he cut and run, and is it a bad thing for DC United and MLS if he did? Yes and no. Finally, bigger train wreck, Lindsay Lohan or Miami FC? <laughs> the answer is still FC New York. Okay, before we put another show to bed, Dan, any final thoughts? Nope. All right, one of these days. Anyway, our thanks to Ron Gilmore for taking time to be on the program, and our thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week with more stuff. Till then, have a happy and safe holiday weekend. Every now and then, think about why you're off on Monday. For Dan Loney, I'm Ken Tomash, and this has been Four at the Back. Well, there it is, a match that had everything, and one that certainly lived up to its promise. It's only a pity that somebody usually has to lose. But there's always another day, another great match to be drawn, lost, or won, when we'll join you again.